I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but next year, 5,000 people. All right? You guys ready? Yeah. Means we've got to put a little more energy into it, but let's uh, get them out here. It's a great outreach. So many of the neighborhood come out, and the kids are just so blessed. So trunk or treat, major success. Well done. Uh, if you're new or newer at Grace, uh, we want to encourage you to uh, just let us know that you're here so that we can connect with you. Best way to do that is just text hello to the number that's on your screen. If you're not uh, comfortable texting in church, which I guess isn't a bad thing. Um, there's a card in the back of your seats that you can pull out that says I'm new. You can drop that off at the information counter if you're online. Texting hello is great, and we'll just make a commitment to get a hold of you uh, here in the next week or so just to see how you're doing and see how your visit was. Uh, we got some exciting stuff coming on tonight. Uh, we have something that we're calling Revival Night. Uh, we're going to have it in the chapel at 7 o'clock. If we don't fit in the chapel, we'll move here into the sanctuary. For those of you who don't know, the chapel is right out these doors to the left. But this is just a time of extended worship and prayer. Uh, we don't script that evening. We're just going to uh, invite the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do that night. And we're just going to have some fun and, and really just enjoy the presence of God in a little different and slower pace. And so we encourage all of you to come to that. And again, if we don't fit in there, we'll move out here, and we'll certainly fit in here. Uh, This Saturday coming up is Serving Saturday. We are going to descend upon many of our uh, senior sisters' homes and help them to get their yards ready by raking and cleaning out the beds. Uh, Great way to get involved, but we would love for you to sign up for that. You can go online and do it. Uh, it is very biblical that we uh, serve this part of our grace population as a family, so we'd love to have everybody show up uh, and be a part of that. And then next Sunday is Discover Grace. If you have been at Grace for a little while and you're just trying to figure out who we are, why we do what we do, why we do what we do, how we do what we do, uh, it's a great uh, thing for you to come to. So Discover Grace includes a dinner, so we'd need you to register for that as well. It starts at 3 o'clock, and that's another one of those things. We don't really script it. We ask you what you want to know, and we write down all the questions on the board, and then we answer all those questions. Uh, If you're thinking about membership, this is a requirement. You don't have to become a member if you go to the class, uh, but we would love for you to come and learn more about grace. All right? Amen. That's a lot. Go on our website. There's even more. Hey, we're in week seven of our journey through the book of Romans. We're already in week seven. I find that to be fascinating. There's probably no New Testament letter that is debated uh, as the book of Romans. And the passage that we're looking at today is probably the most uh, debated passage in all of Romans. Uh, I just tell you that so that you know that we're kind of wading into some uh, deep waters here. Uh, before the, I read the passage for today, I want to recap a little bit of where we've been. The fact is, you really can't understand chapter 7 without having the context of chapters 1 through 6. The best way to understand scripture is to read it in context. As a matter of fact, most of the places where we've gotten off as a church or where we see uh, sects of the church or uh, even um, you know, groups of people who really aren't followers where they take one passage of scripture out of context and then they build a whole religious structure around that one passage. The best way to understand a passage is to see it in the context of all of scripture and in the context of that particular letter. So we need to do the recap in order to understand chapter 7. So if you remember, chapters 1 through 4, we titled The Heart of the Gospel. Paul is pounding the drum. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of salvation. The key word there is all. He keeps going over this all, all, all. And then he tells us that we are saved 
when we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified by faith and faith alone. Four chapters, he comes at this from every different angle to make sure that we understand we are saved by faith. It's a gift so that no one can boast. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. He's just making sure that we understand this is the heart of the gospel and nothing more. By the time we get to chapters 5 through 8, He's shifting gears now, and he's answering the question, so what difference does this salvation by faith, justification by faith, what difference does it make in my life today, right? Your, your eternity is secure because you've put your faith in Jesus, but does the gospel matter to your family life? Does the gospel matter in your work life? Does the gospel matter in the day today? And he is answering the question saying, yes, it does matter, and these four chapters help to bring that forward. So I would call these, these chapters the assurance of the gospel. By assurance, we would say it's a positive declaration or truth that gives us confidence and allows us to live into the promises of God. So we have four chapters where we're seeing how does my assurance and who I am in Christ and this new creation in Christ, how does it play out in my life? How do I live into the promises of of God, right? We've put our faith in Jesus. We've become a new creation. We're given the Holy Spirit. God's love is poured into our lives. All of this is, is in Romans. And our ability to honor God and love God and to love people is made possible because of our faith in Jesus. That's the, the summary of where we've been so far. Big picture, justified by faith, not by keeping the law. That's what he's talking about now. He's talking about the difference between keeping the law to be justified or justified by faith. So with all that, we're going to read a little bit of Romans 7. So grab your Bibles, grab your journals. If you're using the little journals that we sold, I hope that you are. I think we got a few more for sell back there that you could buy, um, but we'd love for you to be in there. We're on page uh, 943 in the Bibles under your seat. If you don't have a Bible and need one, you can keep that one under your seat as a gift from us. If you don't have a Bible at home and you need one, swing by the church anytime and we would love to give you a Bible. I've used a journal where on page 30. I've asked my dear friend Sandy to come up. You got the mic there? Maybe, yep. And Sandy is going to read for us Romans 7, verses 7 through 25. So would you stand as he reads? Good morning, Grace. Good morning, morning, Mom. (laughs) Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. The law is binding on a person only as he, he, he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she shall be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, we were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So we serve 
in a new way of the spirit and not of the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if we had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known that it is to covet if the law had not said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once, alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that uh, promised life proved to be proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. Now, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that it is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I uh, do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law raging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I might serve the Lord, uh, the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... Uh, Romans. Thank you for Romans 7. Thank you for uh, Sandy and the reading of the word. I pray that in these next few minutes that 
you would enlighten our hearts, that you would enlighten our minds, that seeds of truth would be planted, that those seeds would grow deep roots, that they would bear fruit a thousandfold. Lord, I pray, even in this moment, that your Holy Spirit would speak. That it would speak to me, that it would speak through me, that it would speak to each person in this room, each person on this broadcast. May they have an interaction with the living God, and may they leave different than they came. In Jesus' name, amen. If you study the New Testament, all of the letters combined, and you were to sit down and say, I want to look at these and, and find a common theme that runs through all of these letters, all of the epistles, the common theme would be, it's all about Jesus, right? Everything about it, everything is pointing back to Jesus, and that, that knowing Jesus and surrendering your life to Jesus is the only way to the Father. And the second thread that you would see as you read the epistles and all of these letters that are written to the very earliest of church is that as soon as the church said yes to Jesus and understood the gospel, they began right away to add to the gospel, right? They began to say it's Jesus and the Jewish law. It's Jesus and going to the synagogue. It's Jesus and reading the Pentateuch. It's Jesus and and acts of of justice, right? And there's nothing wrong with with going to the synagogue or going to church. There's nothing wrong with reading the word of God, reading the Pentateuch. There's nothing wrong with with the law in itself. We're going to see that in a few minutes. There's nothing wrong with acts of justice. As a matter of fact, we're we're commanded to do some of those things, and, and those are practices that will help us in our journey, but they are not actions that that have any salvific effect on us. Getting baptized today, right, that doesn't save you. It is a discipline. It is an act of of worship, if you will, and so all of those will become important, but when we add to the gospel, we're in trouble, and so over and over and over as we read through the epistles, the people are being called to pay attention to any place where they add to the gospel, and I said this a few weeks ago. If you add to the gospel, you take away from Jesus, Right? If you add anything to the gospel, you are making the cross itself less effective in your life. And so we need to be on guard. Where am I? Where are you adding to the gospel? Where are you saying to yourself, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, Jesus saved me. But it's Jesus and something else. Where are you trying to earn something from God? So Paul is writing to the Jewish and the Gentile followers in Rome, and he's reminding them, he's reinforcing to them, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. It's a gift, right? He says so that that no one can boast. This thing that you have, this, this, this being in right standing before God, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And the only way to have it is through Jesus Christ. It's all about grace. And Paul knows as soon as he begins to write that it's all about grace, that there's going to be a, a question or two that, that raised to the surface, to the surface, like a common objection, if you will, concerns or questions. And we actually see those questions in the way Paul's writing. He's, he's saying it's all about grace. And then he's saying, and you're probably saying to yourself, look at verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? 
right? He's, he's raising the objection. You're talking about grace, so what? If, if there's grace, should we, just, should we sin more so that God can, can display more grace? And then verse 15, he says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under God? Or because we're not under the law, should we become lawless in the way we behave? I had this uh, interaction a few years ago with a leader here at Grace, and uh, he was kind of calling me out, and he said, Doug, you, you preach on grace way too much. You need to preach more on the wrath of God. You need to preach more on, on God's, God's, that God's going to come down, and God hates sin, that you're way too grace and God's love forward. And in essence, what he was saying was the very thing that Paul is, is raising the objection. He is having the same reaction. Too much grace means that we're going to take advantage of grace. You're preaching to a group of people. If you just keep preaching grace and love, they're going to take advantage of grace. And they're just going to go on doing what they were doing. But Paul has a different angle that I want you to see. Right? If we're free from the law, are we going to become lawless? Right? That's the argument that Paul is chasing after. If grace abound, should sin abound? If we're, if we're under grace, should we go on sinning? And what does he say in both cases? Of course not. Of course not. Right? No way should you go on sinning. Sin always has a cost. I've been saying this for months now. Sin always has a cost. It never reaps a profit. Sin matters to God. Your eternity can be secure, but sin still has a cost. Right? And then, and then Paul hits on another objection, right? The, that if it's all about faith, and if it's all about grace, then does that mean that the law that God gave before, is it a, is it a bad thing? Is the law sin itself? Look at what in verse 7. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Look at verse 13. Did that which was good, he's talking about the law, did it bring death to me? Is the law bad? Is the, is, it, did, did it bring death Right? And why is he saying all this? Because he's writing to the Jewish believer, and this is what they had. This is what they believed. This is what gave them identity as, as Jewish followers. The law was who they were. If they followed the law, they were a good Jew. And so he's, he's, he's identifying this thing that they're going to lean back into. Is the law sin? Does it bring death? He says, no, not at all. It's sin that brings death. Right? It's sin in our lives that, that, that puts us under the penalty of death. Look at verse 13. The law was there, look what it says, in order that sin might be known or shown as sin. The law helps us to know what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's, what's not good. But it's our sin that brings about the consequences or the death that Paul is talking about. But there's something powerful and important that I want you to see in this chapter. In the opening verses, Paul says, the law is binding, right? And then he compares this contractual relationship that happens in marriage. He's just using this as an analogy. This isn't meant to be like our, our go-to passage about what God feels about marriage. He's using this as an analogy. And he says, when, when a person is married, they are bound to one another in a contractual arrangement. Till death do you part. If you got married, your pastor, when he did the ceremony, probably said, till death do you part. You are now connected together. And until one of those people die, right, you are in a contractual relationship. But when, but he, what does he say? But when the partner dies, in this case, he's talking about the woman, when the husband dies, she is free from that contractual relationship. She is set free because of death. But then look at verse four. You got it? It says, likewise, remember we're talking about 
contractual arrangement. Likewise, in, in a different contractual relationship, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear the fruit of God. This is the verse. Like if you want to circle a verse in your, in your journal, this is the verse that unlocks all of Romans 7. This is the verse that's the key to that leader who came to me's objection about too much grace. This is the key to understanding Romans and understanding this chapter for sure, right? When we accept Jesus, right, we say yes to Jesus, we die to the law. We're under a new contract. We're released from the original contract. But look at what it says. If you're, again, if you're writing in your journal, if you, if you bought a journal, if you write in your Bible, I encourage you to underline, circle, and highlight the word so that, right? You have been set free from the law so that, first of all, you belong to another, You have been freed from the law, and now you are in a contractual binding relationship with Jesus himself. You belong to Jesus. You're no longer married to the law. You're married to Jesus. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, right? And you are now a child, or as Kevin talked about last week, a slave to Jesus. And Kevin was right when he said, there are, there's no middle ground. You are either a slave to Jesus or you are a slave to sin. There is no middle road here. But there's more. It says, so that you belong to another, you belong to Jesus, in order that you may bear fruit for God. And what's the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, right? You belong to Jesus in order that you can love God and love people. We are set free from the law when we put our faith in Jesus. Not so we can become lawless, but for the very purpose of being empowered through the Holy Spirit to live out the fruit of God, We fulfill the law when we love God and we love people. And we're only able to begin this journey of actually doing it when we become into the family of God, when we become indwelled by the Holy Spirit, when we are made right through Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus alone. So our mission statement here at Grace is, We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. And what we're going to see in in just a minute is we never get there, right? We we never actually say, I am exactly like Jesus, right? It's a journey of of trying to become more and more of, of cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your life and becoming more and more like Jesus. We are being transformed, the scriptures say, more and more. We reflect God's glory more and more. So we are justified, made right with God, and then we begin a journey of sanctification, of being changed by the Holy Spirit over time. And the scriptures say that that we can live with this hope inside of us that God is at work in our life, that God isn't going to abandon us, that he's going to see what he began all the way to completion. And when we have that hope, remember Romans 5, 5, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You put your faith in Jesus, you're set free from the law, not to become lawless, but rather to belong to another in order that you can bear the fruit 
of God. So, just to be clear, to answer some of the questions that Paul is asking, is he says, is, is the law bad, right? Is, is, is there something bad about the law? Was the law sin? And Paul says, no, the, the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is, is good. The law doesn't bring death. Sin and our inability to keep the law is what brings death. And that idea of understanding sin and understanding our need, it puts us in a place to understand how much we desperately need Jesus, right? We, we desperately need Jesus in our life because we are incapable of keeping the law. And so this brings us to the most debated passage in all of Romans, probably the most known passage in all of Romans as well. What are we supposed to do with verses 16 through 21? Look at some of the statements that Paul is describing. I appreciated uh, Sandy reading them. Every time I read it, I feel like I'm doing a who, that who's on first and what's on second or whatever it is because it's I do, I don't do, 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 anyway. So you get to verse 15. What does he say? I, I do not do what I want, right? I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. I, I, I know what I'm trying to do, but, but the very thing I do, I hate, right? And now I do what I don't want to do. I have this desire, look at verse 18, I have this desire to do what's, what is right, but, but no ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. See how hard it is to read? It's what I keep doing, right? In the age-old debate, is, is, this, is this Paul before Jesus, and he's like looking back, or is this Paul after Jesus? Is this, the, is this Paul as a sanctified or justified man describing his debate? And I will tell you, if you look at the context of Romans, if you look at everything that Paul is talking about, I believe, you can make a case for both, but I believe this is Paul talking in present tense. This is Paul as a believer knowing that he still struggles with sin. One of the reasons I believe this is the case because I've yet to meet a person who doesn't struggle at some level with some type of sin, right? It's still a part of who we are, right? There's still sin in our life. He's describing his life after being a follower of Jesus. And that fits to the context of what we're talking about. We are asking the question, what difference does the gospel make in my life on a day-to-day basis? So if he wasn't talking about it, it would be a very uh, hard shift away from his current topic that he's talking about. And he writes about this all the time. He talks about in his other letters, this ongoing battle between flesh and spirit, between sin and righteousness. And here's what we need to understand. When it comes to the law and salvation, the bar is perfection, right? The, the bar that you have to get over to be saved by the law is to never, ever, ever break the law, right? So that means if you have a selfish moment, if, if you have a selfish thought, if you've ever, yeah, you, you know, the, the law is, the, the, the goal is perfection. There is only one person who's cleared the bar, and that's Jesus, Right? And for the rest of us, we just need to know the bar is perfection and we are not there. So we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. We don't ever get there, but we ought to see glimpses of this reality taking place. We ought to be able to look at our lives now 
and, and compare it to our lives maybe five years ago or last year or maybe 10 years ago and see where there's growth and see where sin in your life is different. I can tell you I am a different person. I am still a man who struggles with sin, but the sin that I struggle with now is different than the sin I was struggling with when I walked through these doors 28 years ago. Thank goodness. Right? I've grown. You've grown. You ought to be able to see this journey where you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be able to say, I, I haven't sinned in the last 10 years, right? Trust me, you're not going to be able to say that, but it ought to feel different. And what this passage is saying, when we submit ourselves to the reign and rule of Jesus in our life, we are then in the process, listen, of being perfected, but not perfect. We are in the process of being perfected, but we're never going to be perfect, So here's a summary of chapter 7, what Paul is saying about the law and the struggle between sin and righteousness. First, he's saying that the law is good. The law is just. The law is holy. It's okay to study the word. It's okay to study God's desires in our lives. The law is good. The law is holy. The law is just. And then he says that we all, chapter 7 says, we all have indwelling sin. That's what he's talking about. If you look at the passage again and read it, he talks about there's this sin that lives in me. It indwells me. I still have a sinful nature within me. Verse 17 and verse 20 make this super clear, right? And the, the, and the thing about that is, and you know that, as Paul knew it, it keeps you humble, right? It keeps you from being judgmental of those people. Well, those are the, the sinners. Those are the people. Look what he says about himself. Oh, wretched man am I. I still have sin. It keeps us humble and it keeps us dependent on God's grace, And then the third thing we see in this is we are a new creation and we are being perfected. It is a process, not perfect. We are being sanctified over time. We are being cleaned up. We are in a process. God is not finished with us, right? We're being perfected. That's what I want you to hold on to as you leave here. So I had this... Uh, experience. Uh, The week before last, Meg and I had an opportunity to uh, watch our grandkids. Robbie and Rachel went to New York. And on the third day, uh, Meg had the opportunity to do an art project with the grandkids, fortunately at Robbie and Rachel's house. And um, part of the art project involved glitter. And when Meg wasn't looking, the glitter got poured out of the bottle uh, by one of the kids. And then when she was trying to help that kid, the other bottle got poured out by the other kid, and eventually glitter was everywhere, right? And it basically was everywhere. And so Meg tried to clean it up. Yeah, of course she tried to clean it up. She, she vacuumed the house twice, right? And she tried to get rid of the glitter. And as soon as Rachel got home, the first question she asked is, what's up with all the glitter? <laughs> right? It, you, it, it can't be done. I don't know if you've ever spilled glitter. You, it can't, you can't get rid Now, you can clean it up, but there's still glitter there. The funny thing is our son Jake came downstairs at our house, not at Robbie and Rachel's house, came downstairs, and he said, I have glitter on me. He never even was at Robbie and Rachel's house, and he still got glitter on him. Like four days later, Rachel sent us a picture of one of the babies, the baby Grant, because he had glitter on his bum, Right? <laughs> The, the whole, like, it just was like this vivid picture for me of like, look, you can clean up the glitter. Glitter and sin, they're right there, almost same thing. I, I know the analogy breaks down a little bit. They're going to find glitter 10 years from now, right? So they're going to get new carpet and they're going to be like, where do this, it, it just, 
But it's a picture of our lives. Like, yes, you can clean it up. And yes, it, it gets cleaned up. And the Holy Spirit is going to make it better and better. But it's never going to be glitter free. You're never going to be sin free. It's going to be a part of who you are. That's why you're in desperate need of Jesus and the grace of God in your life. You are on a journey of being perfected. So, does that mean you can make excuses for yourself? And you say, well... I'm a sinful man. It's okay if I engage in sin. Of course not. That's what Paul's saying. No, it doesn't have anything to do with it. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make the right choice, to do the right thing, to live in a way that honors God. You are not a slave to sin. You are a slave to Christ. And now, live into that new identity that God has given you. I want to just share a couple other verses uh, from some of the writings of Paul. Paul's position is you have everything you need for life and godliness. Galatians 2.20, you've been, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm going to read this to you instead of using the word I, I'm going to use. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Romans 7.4. The key to chapter 7, likewise, my brother, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you belong to Jesus, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that you can bear the fruit for God. There's a transaction that took place when you said yes to Jesus. You belong to another in order that you can bear the fruit of God, in order that you can love your wife well, in order that you can love your husband well, your kids well, your coworkers well, in order that you can love your community well. We are empowered to do that through the Holy Spirit and the fact that we belong to Christ. But it only happens when you surrender, when you say yes to the Lordship of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to take you where he wants to go. Jesus' words. The only way to be fruitful, right? The only way to love God and to love others, the only way to truly have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control is to stay connected to Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branches. Apart from that, you can't do it. As a matter of fact, it says you can do nothing. It's all about Jesus, the beauty is we get to practice communion or participate in communion this morning. So John's going to come up and he's going to play a little bit. Uh, if you didn't get elements yet and you just want to come down and grab some elements down here, there's also some gluten-free elements here if that's important to you. Uh, you can grab some of those. Um, but we're going to give you just a minute. So the scriptures say before you come to the table that a person ought to examine themselves. How am I doing with Jesus? Right? How am I doing in my walk with God? Are there, is there sin in my life that, that God wants me to confess? You remember what confession means? It's to turn the other way. Is there something in my life where I need to turn and go the other direction? Take some time. Ask God, God, is there anything in me that's displeasing to you? Right? Is there anything in me that offends you? And offer it back to God. Leave what you need to leave here today before you take communion. So we're going to let the, pass, the communion, I'm going to give you just a couple minutes as John plays, and then we're going to come up and take the elements together. Mm-hmm.
price that you paid to make us your own, that we could be sons and daughters, heirs and co-heirs with Jesus himself. May we never take that for granted. May this simple reminder, something as, as simple as communion, may it be a deep reminder of an essential truth that we are Saved by faith in Jesus and nothing else. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. John's going to lead us in a song. The scriptures say after they had taken the meal, they sang a hymn together. So if you want to stand, we're going to sing. encourage you to come back tonight for the revival night. It's going to be awesome. Just a time for us to be together and cry out to God together. We don't know what's going to happen tonight, but I guarantee it's going to be good. Uh, I want to encourage you to be here next week as we look at chapter 8. And I would encourage you to read chapter 8. In light of everything that I just taught, in light of chapter 7, what does Paul have to say to us? He starts by saying, therefore, if I do what I don't want to do, if I'm still a mess, if I'm still a wretched man, therefore... How do I behave? How do I deal with this split personality? All right, read chapter 8 and look at that, and that's what we're going to study next week. Um, 
want to read for you what the group that prayed for you this morning heard from God. Uh, and this has actually come up the last few weeks, and so I just want to really, uh, if this is you, we really would like to, to pray over you and for you. Someone is struggling with an unpre- unplanned pregnancy. Uh, we would love to meet you in that and just to help you through that. Again, I, this has come up more than one week in a row, and so that just, I think it's pretty important. But there's a, someone who just knows that they need to have a change of heart, struggling, someone struggling with fear, uh, deep-seated fear. We'd love to pray over you. Some people who are just weary and heavy burdened and need to find some rest. We would love to pray that as well. So if you're online right now, there's a number on your screen, a couple numbers actually. Call that, put into a private Zoom meeting where you can have a, somebody trained to pray over you. If you're here in the building, I just want to come down front. There's people who are trained who can meet you and pray with you. God bless you. Jump into Romans 8. We'll see you next Sunday.